You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Arlington Remastered. Chapter 7 The Explorer. Yes? Sir, the British explorer is here to see you. Wilson. Yes. He's brought back some information from Manitoba. Calm down, Pines. Sorry, sir, I shouldn't. It's just the most detailed account of a wind door we've heard so far, and as sources go, this one's fairly reputable. I don't want to oversell it before it even starts up, but... Well, you wanted your epilogue for the second edition? Sir, with this guy, I think you have it. Well, you better send him in, then. Yes, sir, Director Arlington. From the Journal of Thomas W. Arlington, District of Columbia, February 19th, 1883. Pines was exceptionally excitable today. That doesn't signify overmuch. I've seen the man in paroxysms of jubilation over a two-headed calf. That's all it was, just an animal that divided its meals between its two mouths. It had only one stomach and no supernatural powers whatsoever. But for Pines, it was a wonder. On occasions like these, I always ask myself if he was the right man for the job. Perhaps a more sober fellow, a skeptic, someone fully in control of their emotions, might be a better fit to head up Unicorn. It is, after all, a department of mysteries and the paranormal, charged with filtering waves of superstition into the cold, hard facts of actual existing phenomena. And as such, the role requires both a logical head to look at what is actually there, and the thundering heart that seeks out the strange. But as always, during my fleeting moments of doubt on this matter, McTavish entered along with his partner, and that grim and abstemious demeanour reminded me of the balance their department hangs upon. They ushered in Commander Calvin Wilson, and I stood to shake his hand. We had never met before, but he had an arresting air about him, piercing blue eyes over a push-broom moustache. He sat down before me as though this was his office not with arrogance or contempt for me or the other two men in the room, but self-assuredness that suggested he would feel at home anywhere. I mused that as a well-travelled explorer, his definition of home might only extend a few inches beyond his own skin. I looked down his file, and around the time I usually glance up, my neck was still craning, angling my gaze down over the list of his previous pursuits. You're a geographer, a writer, a soldier, an orientalist, an ethnologist, a spy, a linguist, a poet, a fencer, a diplomat, a cartographer. Yes, but that last one means just that I made maps for people. I'm not one of yours. Oh, I'm well aware of that, sir. If you were, we'd have been introduced long ago. I'm happy to sign up and become an official part of your communications network, provided you understand my requirements. I go my own way, you see. I'll be as much help to you in America as I can, but I'm a commander, not an errand boy. I don't see any of the men or women who work under me in that light, sir. I suppose you'd like to know about this strangeness up north, then? Absolutely, I do. Mr. Pines, do you have the relevant files on the past encounters? Right here, sir. Mr. McTavish, a box tube, if you please. Starting it now, sir. Fire away, Commander. I'll need a scotch. 
To steady your nerves? No, I'm just partial to scotch. McTavish, the cabinet over there. I know the one, sir. Ah, uh, Commander, we haven't any scotch. Oh, you shower of barbarians. We haven't the channels and trade stopped ten years ago when we lost contact. And here's the best we could find in various Washington houses. However, there's a fairly robust 21-year Bushmill single malt. Irish whiskey. Oh well, I suppose any port in a storm? On the contrary. I envy you, sir. This is a rare treat indeed. Here you are. Hmm. Yes, it is rather nice. Very well, I'm ready now. McTavish. Scrub that box tube and start a new one. Fire away again, Commander. I'll need a Cuban cigar. Has to have been rolled on the thighs of a virgin. You're kidding. Yes, but have one ready for when I'm finished all the same. Could we? Oh, very well. Commander Calvin Wilson, Washington, District of Columbia. February 19th, 1883. While surveying the land in Manitoba last spring, I grew friendly with a settlement there, located around Itawney Lake. I'd been dispatched to chart the furthest possible northern point of civilization that we could adequately maintain contact with. He went on to describe in detail his meeting in Manitoba with the native Canadian gentleman who had encountered what we have come to know as a wind door. I watched him throughout this deposition. His eyes betrayed neither a hint of deception nor exaggeration. He was clearly curious and barely hiding his eagerness to impart this knowledge to the appropriate authority. Pines was correct in his assumptions. This was absolutely the epilogue to our second edition. Something had caught his eye hanging in the air above the water. The way he described it, one could describe some trick of the light. He took my handkerchief from me, folded it diagonally several times over, and then held it up before my eyes, taut between gripping forefingers and thumbs to resemble some kind of aperture. Though this may be some mistranslation, he said it was a fold in the air, some seven feet from pinnacle to base and composed of the wind. I glanced over the past encounters we had on file, cross-checking the descriptions. They all matched. If this is indeed a worldwide occurrence, then there will be more still. Though I'll warrant not many would be required to cause this level of social breakdown in an unprepared civilization. Wilson reached the end of his story and lit the cigar that I passed him. I'm very excited about this. Had you heard of this kind of occurrence before your encounter, sir? I've, I've heard all kinds of stories. People have told me all sorts of reasons the Wendigo plague got started. Ranging from a malattended surface to a fellow who mated with an alluring quadroon who turned out to be one of the creatures. Well, we're all fairly certain that's not the case. Oh, well, obviously. All pish posh and tommy rot, but this one in Canada had the whiff of validity about it. And I can surmise by the way you were glancing at your notes that what I've been told has some basis in recorded fact. Well observed. From what we have here, there have been three other sightings. Two reports of a doorway of the kind you describe only a foot above the ground seven feet high and deep in the forests east of Jackson, Mississippi. Both date back to around the time of our first contact with the Wendigo during the outbreaks in the spring of 72. Well, there you have it. And the third? The third was last year in Missouri. Only this one was suspended some 30 feet in the air and had been passed off as a cloud by most people who glanced at it. 
The scout who filed this report had camped there for a day, and observed it under many different lights, with and without a telescope. According to this, in the stillness of the night, that signature rushing sound could be heard. An ebb and flow, the agent supposed, of air passing back and forth through the aperture, or else, if not, an audible by-product of its existence. Of course, what sets this third one apart is that the information was filed first-hand by a professional cartographer, rather than gleaned in a report from individuals of, I'm going to say, considerably less repute than yourself. Commander Wilson, this is why we'd like to make yours the first published notification to the American public. You're hoping more reports will come to light as a result of this? Precisely. Interesting phrase. You will, of course, be met with the exact opposite. A barrage of fabricated, falsified, hysterical, and in some cases just plum crazy fairy tales about all sorts of doors in the air and the enchanted greeblies that nestle behind them. Most assuredly. However, these two men here run Unicorn, our department that specialises in enchanted greeblies. They can sift through whatever comes our way and determine the best points of inquiry, can't you fellows? I'm looking forward to it. With Gostel. And of course, our number one concern is sending a team up to Manitoba and onwards to Nunavut to investigate this northern door. What do you suppose is behind it? Honestly, I'm not one for supposing. But I would estimate that the most likely answer is... Another world entirely. I believe this infection is not a natural part of our own Earth, but it may be a natural part of another. Ultimately, we need to ascertain whether this is true, and if at all possible, examine the likelihood of closing this door. If this is achievable, we know our course of action for the rest of the world. Have you been thinking about this long? It became clearer as you spoke the words. In that case, I volunteer myself to head the team. I shall need five of your hardiest cartographers, not ones that grouse, and they must keep their socks dry at all times. I will not abide wet socks. You've only just arrived. Yes. How long did it take you to travel here from Manitoba? I believe I set off around six months ago. Don't you want to rest? Set down the load for a few days? I don't follow you. Let me ensure I'm reading you correctly on this. You discovered the existence of this door not too far from you in Manitoba, and then organized a year-long round trip to tell us about it here, without visiting first? Correct. Why? Well, let's say, the moment I found out about it, I'd headed north, the last leg of the journey, and encountered the door, and as is my way, I stepped through to see what lies on the other side. My chances of survival are impossible to calculate. The finding potentially dies with me. It could take decades for news of it to reach you, by which point it may be too late to follow this one course of investigation that may be of great benefit to mankind. You could have relayed your story via the wire network. Word for word, everything you've said here. I did in fact have a failsafe message organised, should some calamity befall me and I not reach Washington by my estimated time. But if that was how you received this information, then it would be just that, a story delivered second, third, and fourth hand by men of lesser repute than myself. I would not be sitting here right now looking you in the eye. You would not know the strength of my conviction. All right, Commander. We shall put a team together for you. Can I go along? No. But there's... Job to do. Donald! Are we going to do this here? 
Mr. McTavish is right, Mr. Pines. You'll get your chance. But I want you here in Washington right now until we've looked at some of these reports and know more about this. To do that, we need you. Yes, sir. Shame. This would have been the adventure of a lifetime for a chap like you. I know. Tally-ho, then. I'll get it out of your hair. Have them ready for tomorrow at 8am. I'll meet with them tonight at 6.15 to give them a good going over. Weed out the bedwetters and the lollygaggers. We have none of them in our agency as far as the records go. I know a bedwetter. Yeah, we don't keep that on file. Before you go, can you add a closing statement about this second excursion? It makes for an appropriate final paragraph and a statement of intent for America. Very well. Tomorrow I return north with a small group of worthy, intelligent field agents. Having imparted this key information to Director Arlington, which I believe deserves inclusion in a second printing of the Cartographer's Handbook, so that we may draw out further clues to this new development. You have been listening to Episode 7 of Arlington Remastered, The Explorer, written, edited and directed by Alexander Shaw. Thomas W. Arlington, performed by Alex Shaw. Commander Calvin Wilson, performed by Matt Ramsey. Agent Jeremy Pines, performed by Matt Wardle. And Agent Donald McTavish, performed by Derek Ritchie. Fanfare for Space, Shores of Avalon, Prospector Theme, and Battle Hymn of the Republic, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Vey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksch, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Scott Jacob, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Stone Spring Maidens, the tenth book in the New Century Multiverse, and the sequel to Arlington, is going through its final stages of editing the novel. It will be released shortly in paperback form and going into audio production, and the next audio series to be released after this one will be Stone Spring Maidens. Mm-hmm.